extension of our Loving God Back series. And we love God back by loving His Son, Jesus, who died for our sins. We love God back by loving one another. Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And we love God back by loving our world with the love of Christ. And there's no better way to love the world than with the good news, which is the power of God to salvation to all who believe it. And so what we want to do is uh, empower you, inspire you, challenge you to share the good news with your circle of influence. Now, one of the things we're doing to um, create more salvations than we've ever seen is through fasting. Uh, one time, Jesus, how, how many of you have ever had a situation that no matter how hard you prayed, um, no matter how long you stood, it just wouldn't change? Just raise your hand. It could be a sickness, a disease, or um, uh, you know, financial situation, or relational dynamic, whatever. One time Jesus came down from the mountain and his disciples who had already healed, who had already cast out demons, who had already raised the dead, could not get this boy who had epilepsy healed. Jesus said, bring him here to me. And he cast out a spirit of infirmity and the boy was healed. And the disciples said, how come we couldn't do that? I thank God that was recorded in the Bible. And I'm so glad Jesus answered. And he didn't say, because I'm the son of God. Uh, he said, because of your unbelief. I mean, that's kind of an insult. And many pastors won't say that anymore because it makes people feel bad. It doesn't make me feel bad if it's the truth because I know where I can get more faith. You fast and you pray and you seek the Lord and your faith increases. And that's exactly what they did. Jesus said, this kind doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. See, this is a, my point is this is a spiritual battle that we are in. And the battle is over souls, over individuals whether they will spend eternity with Christ or apart from Christ. So, we began fasting in January as a congregation, and Stephanie, who oversees our missions, who did a phenomenal job as she preached a couple weeks ago, she said there's this movement in India where they are seeing more people come to Christ than they ever have. And she said one of the keys is they have a fasting chain where somebody in their churches is fasting every single day. Somebody's fasting. We did that through uh, January. We've done it through February. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to implore you. Please go on our website and go on to the prayer. Uh, the prayer. When we open up the website, the first banner is prayer and fasting. Click on that. You'll find a, a link that says sign up. And you just put your name on a fasting calendar that we have online. Choose one day in March. To fast. And if everybody chose a day, you can see what days have been taken, what days haven't. And we spread it out. Somebody in our congregation will be fasting every single day for three things. Intimacy with God. The increase of God's kingdom coming in our lives. And the ingathering of souls. Now, some would say, well, I don't think it's right that you, you know, promote that you're fasting. Do you know there's only one place in the entire Bible where Jesus said, don't let people know that you're fasting. You know who he said that to? The hypocrites. The people who wanted everybody to know they were fasting, and they'd walk around like this. They said they wouldn't walk, they wouldn't take a shower, they looked really sad, and they walked around. So the people would think they're spiritual. Jesus said, if that's your motivation, then, then fast in private. 
But everywhere else in the Bible, you see the Apostle Paul says we fasted often. You see Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast and recorded. The Bible records Jesus fasting. I mean, fast, what it does is you're saying, I'm on the team, I'm part of the team, and I want to see his kingdom come. And so when I look on that calendar and I see your name on there, I, I pray for you as you're fasting. And uh, it's just awesome to see the people participating. Now, if you're still uncomfortable putting your name on the calendar, just put an asterisk. And then when I look on that calendar, I'll say, all right, Monday's covered or Tuesday's covered or Wednesday's covered. Some people have chosen a day of the week for the whole month. I know the Mancini's are doing, I think, what days are you guys fasting? Thursdays. I'm fasting on Mondays. Other people have just chosen it. And I'm telling you, what it's doing for my personal relationship with the Lord is worth it all for me. That's the intimacy piece. As I fast on Mondays, I'm seeking the Lord and reading the word. And it's really enhancing my intimacy with God, which is the first thing we fast for intimacy then increase of his kingdom, and then the ingathering of souls. So, I'm, gonna, I'm challenging you to fast and uh, sign up for fasting for March. This morning, it's really a great privilege of mine to introduce who's going to be bringing the word today. That was my mini-sermon, because I'm not actually preaching today. So, But... I'm not... I'm, I'm going to take that as, that was a great mini-sermon. That's how I'm taking that. Because we are a house of encouragement and love. Jesse and Julie came to San Diego as church planters. And they are so gifted. They graduated from Christ of the Nations. Rhema too. They graduated from Rhema Bible College. And uh, I, they came to our church... Um, about how long ago did you guys arrive? A year and a half. I was going to say, I didn't want to be wrong twice on a Sunday. A year and a half ago. And Julie now oversees our children's ministry. And Jesse has been such a help to me personally and to the leadership of our church and to the church at large. But, you know, in ministry, uh, there's, there's ministry A and ministry B. Ministry B is you just do what the church needs. You just roll up your sleeves and jump in and do whatever's needed. Ministry A is what you're hardwired for, what you're anointed and gifted for. And what Jesse is anointed for is evangelism. He's a manager at uh, Chevrolet dealership down in Mission Valley in Hotel Circle. And he is one of the most natural evangelists I've ever met. He is so unassuming and so kind, but boy, with the gospel, he's just lethal. He's just like Stephanie. You just don't even know it's coming until it's already got you. And so I said, Jesse, you need to deposit your gift of evangelism into our church during this evangelism series. So let's welcome Jesse Miller. Woo! Oh, by the way, I want to mention this because uh, I know Jesse does, is, is not a self-promoter. Jesse wrote a great book called Red Letter Ministry. And... Uh, I love the chapters in there, particularly on evangelism. I can tell as you're writing, when you get on the evangelism piece, it's like this is a whole other level from everything else you're writing. I can tell that's, that's one of the ways I could tell what your gift was, with, was the way you write that. But you've got some copies of your book today, right? Yes, sir. And they're out front? Yes. Outstanding. Okay. So get his book. They're, they're free, but uh, I've found that if you don't pay for something, then you don't end up reading it. So... Pay a little something. It doesn't go to me. It's going to go to the church, to missions outreach. 
but I just want to bless you guys with that book. So anyway, I want to talk this morning about how to develop uh, compassion for the lost. How to develop compassion, because we need compassion for the lost, amen? If we're going to reach the lost, we have to have compassion. We can't have uh, a, a look at people that are unsaved. We can't look at them with eyes of you know, anger. We can't be mad at them and expect them to come to know Jesus through our lives, amen? So we've got to have compassion for the lost. So we're going to talk about this, that this morning, but before I start... Um, I know Stephanie got out her clock, and so Pastor John said I could have like two hours this morning. So, um, just kidding. Uh, you know, this week, Billy Graham, probably one of the greatest uh, evangelists of all time, not just of this century, but of all time, has had a great impact on probably most of your lives, my life for sure. Um, he, he would always give a little humor in his sermons. And, one, and so I thought this morning I would just say one of the jokes that he would say sometimes at a sermon. So he said, I heard about a man who was supposed to preach for 20 minutes and he spoke for 30 minutes and then 40 minutes and then 50 minutes and then an hour and 20 minutes. And finally, the guy that introduced him uh, took something and chucked it at him. Well, it missed the guy that was speaking and ended up hitting somebody in the front row. And then as the guy's going unconscious on the front row, he said, hit me again. I can still hear him. So. So hopefully that's not going to be the case this morning. Um, hopefully, hopefully not. You know, when, when they were showing that video a couple weeks ago of somebody getting baptized in a bathtub, I want you to know something that almost brought me to tears because I was uh, I was a youth pastor in Alaska for five years. I was a youth pastor other places too. But when I was the youth pastor in Alaska, there was this young man who was uh, on drugs, on crack, on everything you can imagine. And finally, he gave his heart to God in our office with me and my pastor. And it was in the middle of winter in Alaska, in the middle of winter. Where are you going to baptize somebody? There's no, we, we, we didn't know anybody and we, and it would take like a day to fill up a, a baptismal at one of our friends' churches and we didn't have a baptismal. We usually did it down at the lake in the middle of summer. But that, that kid wanted to get baptized right away so we went right to his house and I, I baptized him right in his bathtub and that was just awesome. That, that kid is still evangelizing today. But, uh, you know, I, I, th- those kind of stories just stick out to you. Those things that happen in your life. You're never going to forget baptizing somebody in their bathtub. So um, I thought that was awesome. I want you guys to know this morning, you guys are all evangelists. We're all evangelists. You know, uh, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he said to one of his young ministers, he said, do the work of an evangelist. Even though you're a pastor, do the work of an evangelist. We are called to evangelize. God wants you to spread the gospel. God wants you to share your heart with people. God wants you to lay hands on somebody at work and and pray for their back. God wants you to do these things. This is God's heart. God's heart is for you to be his hands and feet on this earth. So these kind of stories are just awesome. And so I want to bring up some of the people that are going to be given their 15 seconds um, of uh, testimony this morning. And let's see, I think this is on. You know how to turn it on. Chris Pryor, everyone. Hey, um, yeah. so I grew up in the church, and I've always believed in God, but I wanted to do things my way. I loved sin. 
and I just was living depressed. Um, and one day, God spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but it was just a very, very clear, I knew he was saying, do you want to try things my way? And I was just very depressed, and I, at the, in that moment, I was like, yes. And then suddenly things started changing. I started getting introduced to the kinds of people I needed to, to, to listen to. I found this church. Everything started changing. And that's when I, even though I knew God, that's when I embraced God. Good morning. I don't have a crazy story to tell you, but I have an intimate story to tell you. I also grew up in a church like Chris and uh, accepted Jesus in my heart when I was seven. But I never had the intimacy that my mom had. She read the Bible all the time, and I thought that was enough for me because she was a Christian, and she did that. And later on in my late 30s, I started reading the Bible with my kids, and that's when I saw his promises coming through. That's when I saw his blessings, and that's when I felt intimate with him when I was going through trials. And now today I have a peace that surpasses all understanding, and I'm fulfilled by loving on others. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, hi. Um, I was not raised in the church, um, I, I, but I always helped from a very young age. I always felt that there was this uh, deep need in my life. And I think probably a lot of people feel that when they're young, and maybe even people right now here probably might be feeling that. But uh, I knew there was some sort of God-shaped hole in my life. I, didn't, I just couldn't understand it. But uh, by the time I got to my high school years, I had some friends that uh, shared with me uh, you know, how my life could be different than Jesus and how it could just be changed. And I took that chance. I accepted Jesus into my life, and a miracle of miracles, my life did change. And when they talk about transformed life, I could feel that, that sense of purpose and that sense of new life. And uh, ever since that day, uh, you know, life goes up and down, and you have those uh, high points and low points. But I know every step of the way that Jesus has been walking with me, and I feel God's presence all the time. So I just have that deep sense of peace and uh, purpose that, that uh, came to me right at that very first moment. Awesome. Thank you. I was 10 years old and going through a hard time, and I developed a stealing addiction during that time. And no matter what I did, I couldn't stop it. It kept getting worse. I went to a summer camp. I heard the gospel that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God and that Jesus came to save us from our sins. It, it made sense. It was completely logical as a 10-year-old to accept Jesus into my life. After I did that, um, I discovered I loved to give. And there was such an overflow that I just started giving. And now, instead of taking money out of the offering, I put it in. <laughs> I'm sure your pastor was thankful for that. So. <laughs> well, I want to tell you this morning, you know, God uses people to speak to people. God uses people to speak to people. If God could get everybody on the earth saved, He would have already done it. Let me say that again. If God could get every person on the earth saved, He would have already done it because God loves people. But He uses people to speak to other people. If Jesus could have gotten everybody on the earth saved, He would have done it. He couldn't do it when He was on the earth. 
But He's given you, as His hands and feet on this earth, the opportunity and the privilege to be His voice, to be His mouth to other people around you. So you have this great opportunity to actually speak the life of God, the peace of God, the presence of God into people that you meet when you go uh, to your work, to your job, and at your home. You have the opportunity to speak peace and life into your kids, into your parents, into your family members. And I would encourage you, if you're, if you're not already doing that, start today. You, you're the greatest evangelist that your kids will ever see. You are the greatest person because they see you day in and day out. They only, they only maybe see a preacher one time a week or maybe once a year on Christmas. So you are the greatest evangelist that your family could ever have or could ever need. So I want you to know that God uses people. Let's look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, because it's always good to have a little bit of word to back up what you're saying, right? So in Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, we'll look at it in the New King James. It says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It has to be somebody declaring the Word of God. There has to be somebody speaking the Word of God. People can't just be saved uh, without hearing and without faith being built. Faith has to be built. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The only way you're going to build faith into somebody is by speaking to them. There's a lot of other good things that are what I like to call the dinner bell, but the only thing that can change somebody is to actually preach the gospel to them. Now, that's the hard part, but thank God he gives us boldness, right? Uh, but, but the easy part is knowing what our role is. What is our role? Our role is just to speak, to declare, to say. And sometimes it's going to fall on stony ground and sometimes it's going to fall on good soil. It's not always going to, going to fall down and, and, and sprout up a harvest right away. Sometimes it'll fall and it'll just sit there because there's no rain watering it yet. And then later on a harvest comes and that may not be you. But whether you're at the beginning or the end, thank God we're, we're a part of evangelism when we decide to open up our mouth and declare God. God and His Word to other people. So I want to tell you something. Prayer for somebody. When we pray and intercede for somebody, that in and of itself does not save their soul. We are inter interceding. Inter we're intercess intercessors for that person. We are pleading their behalf in front of God, but they still have to be the ones to say it out of their mouth. We can't say it for them. As much as you want somebody to get saved, you cannot say the words for them. And even if you got them to repeat it after you, if they don't believe it in their heart, then it doesn't matter. God says you have to believe with the heart. You have to confess with the mouth, but you also have to believe with the heart. So there's a part for them to play. But it doesn't mean we don't stop interceding. It doesn't mean we don't stop praying for people. Man, I'm going to pray till my last breath for certain people that I want to get saved, that I want them to get healed, that I want them uh, to know God's power in their life. But it doesn't take away the fact that there's a part for them to play. So don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. This is not a, this is not a discouraging message. I want you to know uh, 
take some pressure off yourself. God loves you. God wants to work through you. Evangelism isn't about um, a set of rules that you follow. And then if you do this, this and this, then God's going to be pleased with your performance for him. Evangelism is something that's born out of your heart, that it's a desire to show others something that God has done for you and through you. You're showing God's love back to somebody else, loving God back by sharing his love with them. And so that's what we're called to do. We're not called to be the deciding factor. God's the one that brings the increase. We're simply the ones that share the gospel. We're simply the ones that are the mouthpiece of God. And then it's up to God to to bring that to fruition in their heart. You cannot sprout the seed. You can only plant it and water it. You can't sprout it. So don't don't keep uh, being frustrated when somebody doesn't get saved. I know people who have been praying for Marilyn Manson for years and years and years to get saved. I don't know if he's saved, but it doesn't stop the fact that we shouldn't stop praying for him, that we shouldn't that we should stop, you know, declaring God's love to him. God still loves him, but it's still his choice. But wouldn't it be awesome if he got saved? Man, how many kids could he lead to Christ with the influence uh, and the sphere of influence that he has? Teaching these kids. Anyway, I'm getting off track. The Apostle Paul calls preaching foolishness, yet it's the only way to bring salvation. Because it builds faith in the person that hears it. But you know what? Um, There are miraculous things that happen as well that are a great dinner bell. There's, There's the miraculous side of God. There's the side of God where He heals people. He sets them free from addictions. But I want you to know, be very clear, that just because somebody gets healed doesn't mean that they're saved. God can heal people that are not saved. I know that's a crazy thought to some people, but God heals people. And a lot of times I've seen Him work to where He's healed somebody before they get saved because that's the dinner bell. They're like, wow, God just healed me. I want to know about Him. I was in Russia and we were we were out on the street. We were doing a drama and then we would throw out the net is what it was called. We would declare the gospel to the people and then we'd go up one on one with an interpreter. Well, three or four of us would go up to with an interpreter to somebody and we would ask them, you know, hey, you saw that you saw how God loves you. You saw how God cares about you. You saw how he wants to do great things through you. Do you want to give your heart to God today? Do you want to make him Lord of your life? Just like you saw, he can take the sin away. And we would preach the gospel to them. Well, this one man came up like this and stood in front of us. And he said, no, no, it was a good, good story. Good story. And so he was telling, you know, he thought it was a great story. And all of a sudden, I was a 15-year-old kid. And all of a sudden, uh, just out of my spirit, I said, God wants to heal you of your limp right now. He said, oh, no, I've had this limp since I was a little boy. God could not heal me from this. I said, I want you to know God wants to heal you right now. Do you mind if I lay my hands on you and pray for you? I laid my hands on him as a 15-year-old kid. I prayed for him. He was immediately healed of paralysis on the left side of, or on the right side of his body. And God, and immediately he got saved. Now, if that's not a dinner bell, I don't know what is. Amen? That's, that's just throwing it out. That's the net. But, but God used that healing to get him saved. But that healing did not save him. And, and a lot of times we, you know, we, we see miraculous things happen, but we have to make sure that we follow through 
and that we declare the gospel to people. You know, we, we need to follow through and make sure that people know that Jesus loves them, that Jesus cares about them. You know, this message that we're, we've been preaching for the last month, this is level uh, 401. This is doctorate level stuff here in the kingdom of God, because most people, uh, whether, whether they mean to or not, are so focused on just getting themselves healed. Just getting themselves out of a jam. Just getting themselves to where they can be sufficient in God that they never look past. They never look out. They don't ever see the fields. They don't ever look up and see the fields are white unto harvest because they're so focused on only their own problems. So when we're preaching about this stuff, let me tell you, this is level, you know, this is high level stuff that you're hearing. And anybody that's ever preached the gospel or declared the gospel to somebody knows that when you begin to pour out your heart to somebody and they accept Jesus, it's about the best feeling in the world. There is no other feeling I can describe it to you when, when somebody comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior because you preach to them. And when I say preach, I don't mean like Chris declared earlier, bless God, come and, you know, I'm just talking about pouring out your heart to somebody. Pouring out your life to somebody. Some of Jesus' greatest sermons were very simple. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those, you know. And he would stand up and say very simple things that everybody could relate to. And they would just immediately gravitate toward Jesus. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of people that were far from God. Jesus was somebody that, uh, you know, people would say, oh my goodness, you're eating with tax collectors and sinners, the scum of the earth. That's the Jesus that we serve. Jesus loved people. If you're ever going to be effective as a witness for God, you're going to have to develop a compassion for the lost. And let me tell you, Compassion for the lost is not something you wake up with one day. You don't just uh, come out of bed. Oh, I'm going to love everybody today. Oh, bless God. I'm going to get on the freeway today. And when somebody cuts me off, I'm just going to say, oh, bless you in Jesus name. Oh, oh, you're so you're so kind and wonderful. Uh, People are hard to love. People are hard to love. If you want to know if if you want to know if they're hard to love. People, just think of yourself, how you get when you're cranky and you're angry. Or you're hangry, if you're hungry and angry. I mean, that's the worst, right? <laughs> that's almost worse than anything. But um, if, you're, if you're cranky, you know, you're hard to love. So just understand that sometimes people are cranky and they're hard to love. Love them anyway. People are going to be mean to you. They're going to be cruel to you. People are sometimes going to say, I don't want to hear anything about that Jesus you're talking about. Love them anyway. Pray for them anyway. Teach them anyway. Amen? So, what does it say in Hebrews chapter 11? I didn't put this on the slide, but it says that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. It says in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the Word. And the Word is with God. And the Word was God. He was with God at the beginning So Jesus is the Word, and the Word was with God, and we know that the world was framed by God, so we know that words are the way that we're going to get people saved, using your words. So let me ask you a question. Where do you start? Where do we start? How do you start to share your faith? How do you start this journey? If you've never shared with somebody, where do you begin? I mean, that's a fair question, right? Well, I would say this. You have to start by lifting your head up. 
You have to lift your head up. You can't find the harvest by going through your motions of your day. I'm going to work now. I'm going to do my little thing at work. And at 5 o'clock I'm going to leave. And I'm going to go home. And I'm going to watch some Olympics. And then I'm going to kiss the kids. And I'm going to go to bed. And that's my day. And I've got it all planned out. You're not going to, you're not going to see the harvest if, you, if you're looking down at just your circumstances. You have to lift your head up. You have to lift it up. You have to see. Look at Matthew chapter 9. This is the, probably the greatest and my, probably my, my heart's cry. This verse alone. This passage in Matthew chapter 9. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area. He taught in the synagogues and he announced the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Notice he preached, he taught, and he healed. It says it over and over and over again. Those three things were the call of Jesus. And what did he do? He said when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the fields. So one of the greatest things that you can do is pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest fields. But it's a dangerous prayer. It is so dangerous because he's liable to send you. If you start praying that way, it's amazing how you're going to start seeing opportunities here and opportunities there to start sharing your faith. And you're going to have to start praying for boldness to be able to do that because um, because you know that these people need to hear what you have. They need to know the Jesus that you know. They need to be taught what you've been taught. You're so blessed. I'm so blessed to have been raised uh, I was raised in a Christian home. I'm so blessed that I had parents that taught me about Jesus. I'm so blessed that I had, uh, you know, a Christian upbringing. And even though I may have strayed a little bit, for the most part, I am so thankful to God that he saved me from that mess. From not having to do all those things. You know, some people's testimony is I got saved from drugs and I got saved from alcohol and I got saved from this and I got saved from that. I got saved from all those things by not having to do all those things. That's my testimony. <laughs> and if you do what the word says and you teach your kids and you train your children when they're young, then when they grow old, they won't depart from it. I do that with my kids. My wife does that with our kids. We do a Bible study in the morning. We do a Bible study at night. I do a Bible study with my daughter. My, my wife does a Bible study in the morning with our son. He's two years old, but guess what? He's here. He prays. He, I should, boy, I should show you a clip. Dear Lord. Bless the food. And he's just so, he's so cute when he does it. But he wouldn't know to do that if we didn't teach him, if we didn't train him, if we didn't expect, you know, if we didn't show him and he didn't see us doing it ourselves. And it would be so sad if I preached to all these people and I got lots of people saved throughout my lifetime and my own family was lost. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to know Jesus. And guess what? If you have a, a son or daughter that doesn't know Jesus, hang in there. Keep praying. Keep believing. God is calling them. God is, don't, don't hold yourself accountable. Okay, they make their own decisions when they get old enough. But I want you to know that God still loves them. He's still drawing them to Himself when you pray for them, when you, uh, when you speak to them, when you, when you declare God's love to them. But I want you to know the compassion for people comes when you lift your head up and you begin to see the needs of people around you. 
You can't be caught up in your own life. You have to stop and, and see the problems and the struggles around you. You've got to see. You've got to look. You, you've got to actively seek out people. Evangelism is an active gospel. Evangelism is looking for a need. It's not just, well, oh, there's a need that fell on my lap. It's looking for a need. Recently, there was somebody at work that uh, got very ill very quickly. Very, very sick. I mean, so just one minute, he was fine. The next minute, he's at the doctor and he's within minutes of dying. And uh, there was fluid that had been building up around his heart. And they sucked two and a half liters of fluid from away from his heart. And it, all of his organs were shutting down. But thankfully, when they did that, they got rid of a lot of that stuff, but he still has cancer. And so, and he didn't know, like, this all was dumped on at one time. And I, you know, I, I've had, I have compassion for people, but I just had this supernatural compassion. It was supernatural. And I just started praying and I just started telling God, God, this man, I know, I don't know if he's a Christian. I, he doesn't, the way he talks at work, he sure doesn't seem like he's a Christian. But I don't know because you never know somebody's heart. But I just know by his actions and by the things he said that he was not a Christian. And so I began praying, Lord, what can I do? And I knew that, you know, being out of work and his wife having to be out of work to, to help care for him, that they would need some money. So I said, OK, Lord, I can give I can give him a little money. That's fine. And God said, no, not the regular amount that you give, but ten times the amount that you normally give. And I said, oh, to get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I didn't really tell the Lord that, but uh, have, you, have you ever had that? Ex- you, you know it's from God because the, the devil would not tell you to do that. Okay, your own flesh wouldn't tell you to do that. You know it's from God when you hear something that's just so crazy that's going to be a blessing to somebody. Now, this man knows who I am. He knows I'm a Christian. I talk about God at work. You know, I I know I don't like proselytize. I don't just sit there at work and just, you know, preach, preach, preach. I live my life before him. I talk about God and I love you know, I love people and I try to act right towards people. But when God tell, told me this, I said, boy, this is this is so crazy. I've never done anything like that before. And so I told my wife and she said, no, that's not from God. <laughs> she said, I didn't hear that. She's, she was teasing, but she said, oh, that's Jesse. We've got we just had our air conditioner uh, go out. We had to replace our air conditioner. Uh, but but Jesse, I mean, we we have you know we need a we need a, uh, a car. We need this. Uh, I, I said, I know, I know. It's crazy. It is crazy. I know it's crazy. But God told me to do it. So what do you want me to do? <laughs> so finally, it took like a week of talking to her, and uh, finally we came to an agreement that yes, all right, Jesse, if that's in your heart, I trust you, and you do it. So. I, so I, I told my parents also, and they put some with it. And so it's just, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you the amount because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The, what matters is I'm talking about obedience and what God can do through this. So I was saying, okay, Lord, so I'm going to take it over to his house. And what am I, am I going to pray for him there? Am I going to, what do I do? How do I, how, what is the purpose of this? So he said, just write him a letter. And I said, this is this is crazy. You don't even want me to preach to him when I go over there? No, because I felt like 
you know, his family was there. And the best way was going to be for him to see God's love in action. The best way. So I wrote him a letter, just two pages. And I, here's all I said. I said, I want you to know that God loves you with an unnatural love. He loves you so much and he cares about you. And when I was younger, 30 years ago, I prayed this prayer. I said, dear Lord, I ask you to take away all the pain that's inside me and fill it with your love. And I want you to be Lord of my life. And I prayed this prayer 30 years ago and it has kept me uh, from a lot of things over the last 30 years of my life. And the reason I'm giving you this money is because I feel like God wanted you to know that He cares about you and your family. And I wrapped it in that and I put it in a manila envelope and I used an excuse to go to his house and I gave it to him. And I, I, didn't, I didn't give it to him in front of him. I did the whole, you know, I said, oh, you're, by the way, your, uh, your check is in there. And so then I left and then about... 20 minutes later, I get this text. You are unbelievable. I don't know what to say, but thank you. Now, I'm telling you this because these are ways that you can plant a seed that they'll never forget. He couldn't, he couldn't give it back because I'd already gotten out of there. He couldn't refuse it because he was too proud. He had to accept it. He had to accept it. And when, when you declare the gospel of God, to G, of, of Jesus to somebody, they have to hear it. They have to decide whether they're going to listen to it or reject it. It's their choice, but they have to hear it. So when you're declaring God to somebody, they have to hear what you have to say. It's still up to them what they're going to do with it. But you've, you've got, a, you've got a, an audience there that now has knowledge about who this Jesus is and how much he cares about him and how much he loves him. And now the choice is theirs. And so the same thing with this man, and I'm still praying for him. So I want you to know that if I could sum up the whole message in this in, in a line, it would be this. It would be that evangelism begins with compassion and you can spell compassion, L-O-V-E, love. That's how you spell compassion. You have to develop love. Love is not just it's, it's not just a feeling, you know, it's not just something that that just comes on you. It's not just a, the ooey gooey's that you get when you're around your your significant other. Love is a, a decision and a choice. You know, it only took a few days after I was married to realize that love is a choice. But, but for Julie, but for Julie, it only took her, it was one day. She, she already knew it was a choice. It was a choice. Uh, can we edit that out back there? No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm teasing. You know, you guys know that. Love is a choice. Love is a, a, is a decision. And, and uh, yeah, right after we got married, she didn't know that I left my socks and my shoes all over the house. And she didn't know that I left my, you know, my toothbrush here. I mean, we had to learn a lot about each other in that first year of marriage. Glory to God. It was a lot of fun. But... I've known her for 20 years. We've been married for 14 years, and it just gets better and better. Now we have the kids, so that's wonderful. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Come on, teasing. I, I see the Larkins over here, and, you know, they're just happy-go-lucky. They don't have any kids. It's, they, they always seem rested. They always seem relaxed. It's just, you know, wonderful. But just wait. Just wait. You'll see. 
All right. So I want to tell you about uh, one, one thing that God did. Here's some practical things we can use because I know we're running out of time. So practical things that I've done that you can do in your life. And one of them is, um, is a, a prayer walk. And I know this sounds crazy, but uh, at the beginning of this year, I realized I, I've got to do something about my eating, my weight. So I, I started um, walking four days a week. And then I started jogging a little bit, and now I'm jogging more, and I'm trying to get healthy, trying to get in shape. And uh, at first I was like, well, should I join a gym or should I do this? And I felt like, no, uh, that's just, you're destined to fail again if you do the gym thing because you've got to drive there. And you have, you have no excuse. You can just walk out of your house. It's free. And you have sidewalks. And you have this big open space that you can walk, and it doesn't cost a thing. And so if you, if you don't do that, you're definitely not going to go to a gym. So this, was, this, was, this might be revelation for some of you here if you, you think you have to join a gym. Uh, there's more gym memberships that have, have like one or two days for a, out of a year membership used probably than anything. But, um, <laughs> you know, if you go to a gym, that's great. But for a newbie to go to a gym, okay, just go out of your house and start walking. And walk as far as you can until you get tired, and then you have to walk all the way home. And so it's a great way to lose weight, I promise. But God told me to, to do this walk. So I'm walking, and I, I started off with maybe like a mile and a half loop, and then I upped it to about two miles, and then now I do two and a half miles. So uh, about a week and a half into my walk, I'm just walking, and I'm just praying in, this, in the Holy Spirit, I mean, I, I must look crazy because it's five in the morning when I leave my house and uh, it's still dark outside. And here's this, you know, overweight man just, you know, trying to lose weight, talking to himself. Um, I'm sure some people <laughs> probably think some funny things, but, you know, I'm just praying in tongues. I'm just speaking to God and I'm going on my my loop and I get up to the top of a hill. And all of a sudden I heard God speak to me and he said, wake up. And I said, what? And, I'm, and I said it like that. What? Because I could barely breathe because I was still exercising, going up a hill. <laughs> but I'm going up this hill, and I said to God, I said, uh, you know, what, what does that mean? He said, just say it. I, I said, okay, wake up. And it, keep in mind, it's 5.30 in the morning by this t- time. And I'm going in a residential neighborhood in just kind of a suburb area of in Santee. And so I'm, I'm, I'm saying, you know, wake up. And then all of a sudden, I just felt like that was coming up from the inside of me. So I said, wake up, wake up. And, and I'm, I start praying over houses around me. Lord, wake those people up. Let them know Jesus loves them. Wake those people up. When they get in their car this morning, I pray that, that, there would, that people would come across their path that would minister the gospel to them. And so ever since that day, my walk is a prayer walk. And I pray over every car and over every apartment that I pass on my route. And I've claimed it as my route. And I'm like, this is my route. This is the place. This is my uh, uh, mission field right now is this little two and a half mile area. And I'm going to take it for Jesus. I'm praying over it. And I said, these people are going to know Jesus. They're going to hear revival. They're going to have that in their life. Amen. And so... If you, if you want to know a place to start, start with prayer. Start with claiming some, some lives for Jesus. Start by declaring His Word. And I got home that day, I'll tell you what, I was weeping. 
And I don't, you know, I cry at some movies, kind of like Pastor John. But um, he said that a couple months ago. He said he cries at some movies. So it's okay. I can cry too. Oh, commercials. That's the worst. Come on now. Commercials. <laughs> Kleenex. Okay. So I, I, was, uh, I was just weeping and I just had a heart and a burden for the lost. And it's amazing what happens when you start praying for the lost. Now, my head's up. I'm like, Lord, is there somebody that I'm walking in at this early time in the morning? Is there somebody that I can talk to? Like, give me somebody. It's, it's gone from just trying to exercise to now. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm on the hunt. I'm on the prowl. I'm looking for somebody to preach to at 530 in the morning. And there are people out there. You wouldn't believe how many cars go past me at that time of the morning. But that's that's what God spoke to me. And then a, a couple of years before this, uh, I was driving one day and somebody cut me off. And I said, oh, you moron, get out of my way. Oh, am I the only one who's done that? Okay. They cut me off and, and immediately God spoke to me and said, you're not going to be an effective witness for me if you call my children morons. Okay. Fine, Lord. So I still do it sometimes. And then I apologize to God right afterwards. <laughs> because I realize that you can, you're not going to be able to effectively witness for Jesus when you call people, his children, morons, it's not going to happen. So don't, so don't do it. Let me just get through this real quick, Pastor John. Real quick. Find ways to gain entrance into people's lives. Paul said to the Corinthians church, he said, To the weak I became as weak, and that I might win the weak, and I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. I become all things to all men that I may by some means save, by all means save some. That's a great, great verse. Jesus wants to save everybody. Now that doesn't mean that you, you know, if somebody's doing crack, you go do crack with them to witness to them. Obviously. Obviously. I had to clarify that, you know. It simply means, it simply means you find a way to gain entrance into their life. You find a way to, to, to dig in, to, to find a way to, to witness to them. Another way you can do it is by what we just talked about, praying for labors to go into the harvest field. Another way you can do it is by asking for boldness. Lord, how can I be a bold witness for you? In Ephesians you know, chapter 6, it talks about being in a bold witness that I may boldly proclaim the gospel as I ought to. And so we can pray for boldness. We can ask God for that. Another way you can do it is by supporting your church and local missions and worldwide missions. And I know Stephanie would say amen to that. So um, <laughs> supporting missions, supporting worldwide missions is a great way. And then understand this. The gospel is the most expensive free gift in the whole world. The gospel is the most expensive free gift in the whole world. What does that mean? Well, of course, the gospel is free. But many people have paid for it with their lives, with their time, with their money, with all their resources. People have, you know, have been willing to do crazy things to spread that gospel. It's the most expensive free gospel. People have left mothers, fathers, homes, good jobs, safety, you know, societal approval to, to preach this good news. And then the last thing I want to tell you, and then I want to just end with a story, is this. 
Realize that you're not qualified to preach the gospel. You, you're not qualified. Nobody is. I'm not. Pastor John's not. We're, none of us are qualified. Because if by qualification you mean you have a pedigree or you have a, you know, a degree from a seminary, if that's what qualifies you, then my goodness, you know, uh, that would be wonderful. But that's not how God designed it. You can't pay for something that's free. You can't earn salvation. We have that song. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But God still gives His love anyway. He still gives it to us anyway. So if you understand that you're not qualified, you're simply proclaiming what Jesus did for us. Because you can't save anybody. It's Jesus that saves. And you understand that the qualification to preach is simply the fact that you said, okay, I'll do it then you'll understand that you're not qualified, so it frees you from having to be tied to results. You're no longer results-driven. You're presence-driven. You're driven by the presence of God to preach. And you, it's not up to you. It's not up to uh, how good you can do it. It's up to Jesus to bring the results. Amen? So realize that you're not qualified. So thank the Lord that you're not qualified to preach the Gospel. <laughs> that should be a freeing statement to you. So qualifications are built on merit, but uh, the, only, the only merit that you have is, is the free gift of the gospel. And so I want to I tell you one quick story, and it is, uh, in, it is about Rodney Davis. We okay back there? We need, what happened? Somebody fell? Okay. Let's all stretch our hands out. Is there a nurse in the building? Anybody? Okay, good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we just, we stop what we're doing and we declare healing in Jesus' name. Healing. Asia. For Asia in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your healing power wrapping around her in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that you have uh, everything under control. This sickness doesn't have to prevail. That Jesus' love and His grace and His healing is at work in Asia right now in Jesus' name. We declare your healing power. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Healing mercies, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Touch her in her body in Jesus.